0: Father in heaven, thank you again for the day you blessed us with. Thank you also for the promise that we have of a future day that will not be clouded by the sorrows that we face today and the struggles. Be with Lauren as he brings a message this morning that you can speak through him, that our hearts can be lifted towards you, and that we can be encouraged. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thank you. Read each one of you in Christ's, Christ's name this morning welcome you to our service here today. For a message today, my mind was drawn to an Old Testament story, and so this morning I will be looking at the first chapter in the book of Ruth. I'll be going through the first chapter and we'll be looking at the different um, nations, the different characters that are in this story, and then try try to draw a few lessons um, from each one of them. Just a little introduction to the setting that we have here today. This was through the time period of the judges, and my Bible has uh, dates along the sides by the chapters, and they have a little question mark, so they're probably not exactly sure, you know, if, you know how specific the date was. But to give us a general idea of when this was, the date for the book of Ruth it corresponds pretty closely to the story of Deborah and uh, when she was a judge of Israel so this time frame of the book of Ruth is over the time of Deborah and Barak and that's a quite interesting story if you look into that if you look at Judges chapter 4 verse 5 it says and Deborah a prophetess the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came unto her for judgment. So here there was the lady Deborah that was judging the nation of Israel at this time. People came to her for advice and judgment. And during the time that she was a judge, the Israelites were in bondage to the king of Canaan named Jabin. And the commander of his army was named Sisera. So one day Deborah, she persuaded Barak, an Israelite, to go up against Sisera. Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. I'm guessing for that time, that was probably a pretty fierce opponent to go up against. And Barak was not very excited about this. So he told her that under one condition that he would go, and that would be if Deborah would go with him. So she agrees, but she told him that there would be a woman that would get the credit for taking out Cicero that day. And we see that in Judges 4.21 where a woman named Jael, um, she drove a tent stake through his head which while he was sleeping, which was his demise. So there were two ladies here that were instrumental in delivering Israel from the Canaanite king. And I find it interesting that at the same time we have Ruth in the time frame, the same time frame that story it happens there as well. Um, other judges at the time would have been Ehud. Um, he was previous to uh, Deborah, and he would have delivered them from Moab, which is where their story takes place today. And also Gideon would have been after the book of, or sorry, after the deliverance of Deborah, um, which is in Judges six. So that was all that those judges were the time frame and where we find ourselves in the book of Ruth today. God had brought the Israelites to this land, which was rich and full of resources, and yet we find them in a famine today. So we want to look at what we can learn from this story. I'll be reading Ruth chapter 1 at this time. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to Surgeon in the country of Moab, he, and his wife, and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malin and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Noemi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years." And Melan and Chilion died also, both of them, and the, woman were left, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return unto each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that grant you that ye may find rest, each one of you, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, if I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for, them from, stay for them having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much, for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is going back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God." Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord does so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her, so they, went to, so they too went, until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Noemi? And she said unto them, Call me not Noemi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Noemi, seeing that the Lord hath testified against me, the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Noemi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, was her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So here we have... (coughs) The beginning of the story of Ruth and her journey from the land of Moab into Israel. And so I want to look at, um, I'll be looking at Israel, Moab, Elimelech, Noemi, Orpha, and Ruth to see what some of the lessons that we can learn from, from them today. And I want to look at Israel first, where, they, where Elimelech and his family came from. As I think about Israel... I think about God's people, and it's today it can be a picture of the church and our brotherhood to us. God had promised Abraham that there would be a great nation that would come out of his family and that they would live in the land of Canaan. And we see that happening here in today's lesson. They had that promise had been fulfilled. Abraham's descendants were not living in this land that God had promised. And God continued to have He continued desire a relationship with the children of Abraham. And he had promised them great things if they followed him and were faithful to him. You know, as we can see, that came true as we were talking a little bit about in our Sunday school lesson this morning. The great miracles that they experienced. They, the plagues that God brought upon Egypt to deliver them out of Egypt. He brought the, the miracles of the water out of the rock, the Red Sea, and, and many other miracles. Turning the bitter water into sweet. So God had provided for them in many ways. But we also see how they at times forgot God who had provided for them so richly. You know, The gods and the idols of their cultures around them became more attractive to them than the one they were called to serve. And So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that these people of Israel were giving to us for an example. So I think we do well to Look at them, you know, with humility, and be aware that you know we're prone to the same uh, failures that they are, and we need to learn from them. So, lessons for us today. First of all, I think about is God has a, still has a chosen people today. In First Peter two nine and ten, it says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you." out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which has, which had not obtained mercy, but now hath obtained mercy. Today, God is also calling each one of us to be a part of that kingdom. Many years ago, he had promised that there would be a Messiah that would come out of the nation of Israel. Jesus was that Messiah. He has come, and he has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. And God wants us all to be part of that. No matter who we are, no matter what gender, race, or descent we are, we are invited to come and join the kingdom of God. He invites us to be part of his bride, the church. And as, verse, as 1 Peter 2 shows us, we have a privilege of being a part of that chosen people so that we can show how truly marvelous the kingdom of God is. And again, as Apostle Paul points out in Corinthians, we need to be aware of the fact that as the children of Israel made wrong choices, so we can be tempted to wander away from the Lord. And that is a lesson I would like for us to consider as we think about the nation of Israel in today's text. God had promised them abundant blessings. He had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. So why were they suffering from a famine? In today's story, this land is in a famine instead of flowing with abundance. You know, it wasn't because God had forgot his promise, but it was because they had turned their serving other gods and had fallen into wickedness. When the leaders of Israel forsook the ways of God, it left the people of their nation vulnerable, vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy and who stripped them of their land, food, and freedom. And in God's children today, we can find ourselves in a very similar position. God has promised us so much, there are so many promises for us in Scripture. And yet, there are times we find ourselves desiring the things of the world, and things of the world are more fascinating than the kingdom of God. And we begin to wander away from God and find ourselves and those who we are responsible for suffering from a spiritual famine. And we talked about that a little bit in our Sunday school this morning, how we can exhort each other to stay faithful and not to fall into unbelief. You know, many times we look at the Israelites and think, you know, how could they forsake the goodness of God? When we really stop and evaluate ourselves honestly, you know, we have to admit that we have the same tendencies. You know, in these stories of Israel, we don't see the many little choices they made that led to this famine. You know, we just see them going from blessing to failure. But for us today, it is one step at a time that can lead us closer or further away from God. It's many small choices made day after day that lead to our destination, not just one big choice. So let's be alert and be aware and in tune with our Lord so that we may share the world the glory of God's kingdom. Next, I want to look at the country of Moab and two lessons we can learn from Moab. Moab was a country um, because of the choice that Lot had made. Probably about 600 years prior to this story today. You know, back in Genesis, Abraham gave Lot the choice of land when they divided because their flocks were getting too large. And Lot chose to go toward the land that looked better. He chose the best for himself, and he became immersed in the culture of the land that he was living in. He chose to focus on comfort and building wealth instead of what was good for his own life and for his family. And like Elimelech in today's story, um, when he chose to focus on that and chose to focus on earthly things, he ended up losing it all. You know, Moab's roots are built in immorality. Lot offered his daughters to the men when the angels came to visit him so that they would not go after the angels God had sent. And that, you know, is, is a tragedy. And instead of coming out of this life as a wealthy man. He finds himself living in a cave out of of fear, and he becomes so drunk two days in a row that he is not even aware of the incestuous relationship with his two daughters. And Moab is the son of the oldest daughter from that relationship. And Moab and Ammon, which was the second son, um, were a thorn in Israel's side for many hundreds of years afterward. I think the story of Lot and of Moab is a warning to us. You know, when we set out to focus our lives on gaining wealth, reputation, and prestige, it does not bring us to a good place. God spared Lot's life and his daughters when, they, when Sodom was destroyed, but it set out a pattern of immorality through the nation of Moab. Now, I would like to think of Moab as what remains of the devil, devil's kingdom. You know, God, or Jesus came to earth, and he was victorious over death, sin, and the devil. But there's still our human nature that still wants to go after what our flesh desired. Moab was what was left over of Sodom. You know, Jesus came to establish his kingdom, as it says in Matthew 4. Jesus defeated Satan, but there's still that tendency in us. And we can also learn, the second lesson we can learn from Moab is that sin will not always be presented to us in a bold, straightforward way. When the children of Israel were on their way to the Canaan land, they went by the land of Moab. As they were camped there, Balak of Moab, he saw the Israelites and he had seen what they had done to all the Canaanites in the land. And so he was scared of these people. And his first strategy to try to to get rid of them was he tried to get Balaam to come and curse them. You know, Balak, he was very well aware of the strength that the Israelites had. He knew that he could not defeat them on his own. But as he asked Balaam to come do this, Balaam could not curse the Israelites. God would not allow it. And it's quite a long story that we don't have time to go through today, but there was multiple times that he asked Balaam to go up on a mountain to curse the Israelites, and Balaam just could not do it. God would not allow him to. And he finally came to the last place where the children of Israel were, and instead of a curse— upon them, he pronounced a blessing on them, and he blessed them three times. I just want to read a little bit from Numbers 24 to give you a picture of what he said about the Israelites. I'm just going to read a few verses here in Numbers 24, verses 5 through 9. It says, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel! As the valleys are they spread forth, as the garden by the river's side, as the, street, as the trees of line which the Lord hath planted, and as a cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the waters out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones, and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up, Blessed is he that blesses thee, and cursed is he that curses thee. So here we see Balaam pronouncing a very um, great blessing on the children of Israel. And obviously the, the children of Israel w- were in tune with God at this time, and it had a great testimony. God had a great vision in mind for these people. This obviously infuriated Balak And the two men went their separate ways. But because of Israel's faithfulness to God at this point, the power of evil had no effect on them. And most likely, they weren't even aware of what was going on behind the scenes. And I think that's a lesson for us. You know, as we faithfully live for the Lord, you know, he will be there to protect us. And many times we will not even be aware of the protection that is happening behind the scenes. But sadly, the story doesn't end there. And instead of a curse stopping the children of Israel, the Moabites killed them with friendship. They gave them food and wine and friendship. And in Numbers chapter 25, the men of Israel were enticed away by the women of Moab and this ended in this end of immorality and in the worship of the gods of Moab. The men of Israel chose their own demise when they became comfortable and let down their guards and were led away from, the, from God. And there were 24,000 people died through this experience. And this is quite a contrast to what we read in just the few verses prior. And that brings 1 Peter 5 8 to mind, where it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, we as humans are just as prone to fall as the people in the account of Israel here. As Peter reminds us, we need to be thinking about this and not get careless and in our walk with God. And I think that was a point that we, you know, talked about a little bit there in our Sunday school lesson in the morning, to exhort each other for our brethren to come alongside of us and help us as we walk with God. So moving on to Elimelech. And the man, the father in this story, his name was Elimelech. And who was he? He was from the tribe of Judah and lived in Bethlehem. And he was which is thought to have been an ancient royal line, you know, leading to some, for some to believe that he was probably quite a wealthy man. And if we look as, as Noemi came back to Bethlehem, Boaz, which was their kinsman, was also a very wealthy man. So it, it, it would seem that they had probably were wealthy people as they lived, lived in Bethlehem. So they were probably a family of influence and wealth. And so as this famine came through the land of Israel, what was his response to it? His, his response was that he went to the country of Moab. And as I think about that, I think about how when hard times come, what is our response? You know, he left the brotherhood and the people of God. You know, we don't know exactly what his thought press process was in leaving Israel for Moab, but he must have thought Moab offered a better chance of surviving the famine. You know, while the majority of the nation was I- of Israel was not, apparently not following God, there most likely was a remnant that was still faithful there. And by going to Moab, Elimelech neglected what was even more important than the physical food, which was the fellowship for the soul and, and the fellowship with others who were walking in the ways of God. And Elimelech left the nation God had established to provide a place for his people and for the worship of the one true God. And Elimelech left this in search of the things of the earth. <clears throat> we can see that in chapter 2 that there was still godly men in Israel. Boaz seemed to be a very godly man and the men that worked for him seemed to be godly men. And as we see, he ultimately ends up dying in Moab. So what are the lessons that we can learn for, from, from Elimelech for our, us today? Now, as we look at the life of Elimelech, there, we can probably sympathize with where he was at and with the choice that he made. You know, many times we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, and we see an option that looks like a great escape to the situation. Those situations come to each one of us in many different shapes and forms, but We make a choice out of desperation, and we leave the situation in hopes of a better time and an easy way out. And then, like Elimelech, we end up suffering even more. Not only did he die, but also his two sons died. His wife was the only one who survived their journey to Moab. You know, as we relate, think about this, and relate to the story, you know, we don't know if it was right or wrong for him to move to Moab. You know, that's between him and God. But we need to remember that leaving the brotherhood, leaving the people of God, and walking alone will most likely not bring life and healing to our lives. As we consider a coal, being removed from a fire quickly dies out, so we, removing ourselves from the fellowship of God's people, will have a hard time making light in a dark world. Most times when we will experience spiritual death, if we walk alone without the aid and support of a fellow believer's, There's safety and support when we as believers fellowship together. We can encourage, we can challenge, and walk alongside each other as we go through these difficult times. And the Bible uses the analogy of the body um, to demonstrate this in the New Testament. God has gifted each one of us with different strengths so that together we might build up the kingdom of God, build up his church to bring glory and honor to our creator. Moving on to um, Noemi, she was the wife of Elimelech. And as we try to imagine life from her perspective, she endured some very big disappointments in her life. You know, having married Elimelech, she probably experienced and enjoyed being well provided for at one point in Israel. Being married into a noble lineage, she probably had status in her hometown of Bethlehem. Then the famine hit, and food becomes scarce, and with no crops, prosperity probably died out pretty quickly. They moved to Moab, which is approximately 60 miles away, which doesn't sound far in today's terms, but in those days was quite a distance. So it's not like you go back home for a visit whenever you want to. You know, Even in good circumstances, moving to a new community it can be difficult adjustment. But after all the disappointing events that she experienced, now she was left a widow living in a foreign land. And being a widow in those times was a very difficult and dire situation to, to be in. And her two sons married Moabite girls from her community. Verse, verse 1 said that they went to sojourn there, which could give the idea that they were going there for a temporary stay. But now they're settling in, and it looks like it's going to be a long stay. And sadly, her two sons pass away as well. So after 10 years, Noemi is not only a widow, but also without any children to provide for her. And most likely beyond the age of having any more children to provide for her. So not only does she have the grief of losing her husband, she also doesn't have a way to provide for herself anymore. And so at this point, she decides it's time to return back to Bethlehem. She makes a wise choice to return to God's people. Now she returns and meets the people from her hometown. she is so distraught by all that happens that she doesn't even want to be called Noemi, which I think um, if i um saw correctly means pleasantness, but instead she wanted to be called Mara because she said the lord had has dealt bitterly with me you now, as I thought about noemi's response i was you know I, I was thinking about like was that was she saying that out of bitterness was she saying that out of You know, God is teaching me a lesson. I came to the conclusion, there's really no way I know without being there and and asking her. But one thing that I find um, very encouraging about Noemi is even though her life didn't turn out, I'm sure like she wanted, She, she lost her husband, she lost her two sons, she was in a foreign land. There was severe disappointments. But there was something in her life that motivated these young women. They were loyal to her. They loved her. And I'm, I'm guessing if she was a bitter woman, she would not have uh, inspired this in her. So as I was looking at Noemi, I was really challenged to not allow the hardships, the disappointments, the sorrows of life to turn me into an angry, bitter person, but let the grace of God help me become the type of person that encourages the young people like Noemi did in her story. We'll look at Orpha briefly. As Noemi started her journey back to Bethlehem, her two daughters-in-law started out on the journey with her. And as I said, Noemi must have been a very kind and caring mother-in-law that Orpha and Ruth wanted to go back to Israel with her. They seemed so devoted to her. There seemed to be mutual love and respect for each other, and Noemi commends them for their kindness to her and to her sons. But as they were on the road to Bethlehem, she gets real with them and tells them to go back to Moab, you know, so that they can go back to Moab, go back to their country and go back and find a new life in their home country. She tells them she's not going to be able to provide for them. And she probably is well aware of what would happen to a Moabite widow in Israel. And we see that becoming a factor later when Ruth Went to Boaz, and the other kinsman refuses to marry her because of her um, connection to Moab. So she says, "There's really no good reason for those two to continue back." It was a logical choice for them to make. So after many tears, Orpha chooses to return. You know, the res- relationship between these three is a testimony of the lo- love Naomi must have shown to her daughters, and she's quite an example for us to consider. As we think about our family relationships. But as we think of Orpha, we're also saddened by the opportunity she missed. You know, she had the opportunity to join the people of God, to get to know the true God of the Creator of the world. But as we see here, Noemi said, as she was talking to Ruth, she said Orpha went back to her country and to her gods. And so, The challenge there is, you know, can we relate to that in our spiritual choices today? Are we easily persuaded to abandon our journey toward God? And are we easily distracted by what's comfortable in the moment? Just a challenge for us to think about today. Now coming to the main character of the story here and looking at Ruth to see what lessons here for us. You know, as we look at Verses sixteen through eighteen. These are probably the most popular verses out of this book. Ruth said, "Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whether thou goest, I will go; and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I, if aught but death do, but but death do part thee and me." Those verses are ones we still quote often today. It's um, a challenging commitment that she made there to Noemi. As I was thinking about that, I was like, what was in it for Ruth? Why would Ruth make this choice? Why would she go to a strange land where she most likely was not going to be well received? It was challenging to see her devotion to Noemi, and the love that she had for her, you know. But Ruth was willing to go ahead with this despite the stigma that she would face. You know, as we read through this story, you know, we can see very quickly the wisdom of her choice. But as she stood at the crossroads with Naomi today, I don't think she had any idea of the impact that her choice had that day. You know, her her wisdom in making this choice um, affected people in a positive way for many years to come. And so the challenge that I, that I had as I was as studying this is to see Ruth forsaking all. And that's the thing that I think that challenged me the most as I studied the life of Ruth, her willingness to let everything behind and commit herself to Noemi. You know, she accepted wholeheartedly the things that Noemi um, stood for. Even... Her God. He even accepted Noemi's God. And the challenge for us is found for us today is found in Matthew ten and in Luke fourteen, where Jesus also challenges us to that calls us to that today. And I'm just going to read those two passages quickly. I'm going to read first. I'll read Matthew t- ten verses thirty-seven through thirty-nine. It says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And also in Luke fourteen twenty six to twenty seven, he has similar words for us. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we see here today that Jesus is calling us to the same commitment that Ruth made to her mother in law, Noemi, back there. We need to forsake all to follow the um, example of Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our life. And as we look at these verses, they can seem very hard. Even those near and dear to our heart must not come between us and our relationship with the Lord. You know, my relationship with Alicia is by far the dearest thing in the world to me. There's nothing that is as dear to me as that. And yet Jesus says um, that that cannot become between our relationship with, you know, me and Jesus' relationship. And that sounds rather harsh. But, you know, as we put Jesus first in our life, the relationships that come after that, that's when we can truly show them love. We can truly show them love as we put Jesus first in our life. If we put our earthly things in relationship before Christ, we are turning them into an idol in our lives. The second thing I'd like to look at is new life. When Ruth came to Israel, she started a new life. Ruth left her Moabite life behind and committed herself to live by the example of Noemi. Noemi. She seemed to recognize the blessing and the opportunity that Noemi had missed in her sorrow and grief. And you know, As God blessed her with this new life among the people of God, Ruth allowed that life to flow through her to others. You know, first of all, she very quickly began to glean in the fields around Bethlehem. She provided food for um, Noemi and herself. She um, had a baby boy. I didn't have time to read through the story about her and Boaz, but she got married to Boaz, and they had a son, and that was a great blessing to Noemi. And this son went on to become the grandfather of King David, and we see the blessing of the lineage of David to the, to the children of Israel. She was all part of this because she chose to live a new life with the people of God. You know, This is a picture of what God can do with a surrendered life today as well. Ruth probably never realized the true impact that her choice made that day. And I'm so grateful that the love of God does the same for us today. God can take our lives and turn them into something beautiful, no matter the darkness of sin that may have been in our hearts, however that may have occurred in our life. He can cleanse us from that and give us a new transformed life. And he can take the pieces of our shattered and broken life put them back together into a vessel that is beautiful in his kingdom and bring glory to to his name. You know, he saves us from the depth of sin and darkness, not only so that we can have life and freedom from sin, but more importantly, as we read earlier, that we can honor and glorify his kingdom. And as we consider those things, we realize that our life here is not about ourselves, but about God and his glory. And that brings clarity and purpose to our life. So those were just some challenges that I saw as I studied through the book of Ruth. And I just in closing here, I want to think about the contrast between Ruth, Ruth and Orpha. And also as we think about Rachel, was it would be another um, lady in the Bible who, when she came from her land, she brought along the idols of her father. And, she, and that she hid them as her dad came looking for them. And we see the result in the life that she lived, the strife between her and her sister, and then between their children. And also, as we think about Orpha, she went back. You know, that was the comfortable and easy thing to do in the moment. But in the long run, she missed out on the opportunity to know Almighty God. And so, in closing, I just want to challenge each one of us here today. You know, God is still looking for people like Ruth who are ready and willing. Devote all that we have to him. Wherever that path may lead us, that we may be willing to follow him. Know that we could find peace with him, whether in life or death, we'd be willing to follow him. And that's my heart's desire for each one of us this morning, that we could find the joy and the peace that Ruth did as she chose to surrender all to God and his will for her life. So let's pray at this time. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you are a gracious God, that you love and care for each one of us. You give us the opportunity to come to you, to become your children, that you can help us to live in a way that honors you, that brings glory to your name, and that you can work through our brokenness. And we thank you that you give us the opportunity to become your children today. I just pray that you would bless each one here today. May you help them. Make choices that draw them closer to you so that we all together might be a brotherhood that honors and glorifies your name. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.